there. And um, Sam, I guess we'll go ahead and play those. Um, I was hoping he would stay. He usually doesn't do longer than an hour. He can help it. Uh, and I heard him say that he starts talking trash if he stays more than an hour. <laughs> I guess that's sometimes how it goes, too. But I appreciate him showing up. That was very nice. Maybe we can do it again sometime. So, um, did I scroll past it? Yeah. Way past it. Whoa. How did I do that? Okay, so the first uh, clip we have here is from, uh, uh, you know, a week before uh, last, I uh, played the bit with uh, Jim Goad and, and E. Mike and we both grew up in Philly, and I was talking about that. So Gemma O'Darty, who does regular um, interviews with Mr. Jones, Dr. Jones, uh, her latest one, she starts out with part of that same video. And uh, so we're going to hear uh, hear the first um, uh, about 18 minutes, if we can start that, Sam. Yeah, from the top. Uh-oh, it's buffering. Uh, bit shoot. Okay, thank you. What should have been said about equality is obviously a lie. Obviously a lie. Blacks are dumb. Vietnamese that I, I researched when I was doing an article for Playboy about Vietnamese gangs in North <laughs> County. Those, those guys, they came over on, you know, rafts made of popsicle sticks and had mansions and Maseratis by the time they were 22. I started... Believing most all of the research I've seen backs it up that people who grew up under different evolutionary selection pressures develop different aptitudes based on their environment. Some environments favored intelligence, some some favored brute strength. So that's it. I, I mean, I to me, Christian. I think with Christianity, its enduring legacy is people don't know what the hell to do with their guilt, and Christianity is like that's ah, just taking care of death space. Okay. Now go ahead, so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for lying down on the psychiatrist's couch. So <laughs> doc, Dr. Dr. Jones will now take over from here. <laughs> and I, these are known as, Sigmund Freud called them screen memories, okay? They are there to distract us from something that you don't want to talk about, but you do want to talk about. And I'm talking about your sex life. Let's talk about your sex life, Jim, and how that... I knew it. You're Let's not talk about mine, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie Mercury doesn't think about gay sex as much as you do, pal. You want to talk about the 80 women I've been with, my gorgeous current one? I don't talk about gay sex. Do you think ever, that? Do you ever. think that? I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, implying that you're a homosexual at all. I'm just saying, do you think your sex life had something to do with the fact that you're no longer a Catholic? Nothing at all to do with it. No, I was okay. celibate. I was so I was such. This is how how committed I was. I I, I like got intense about religion at like age fourteen and nine months, and then just you know fell away from it because I couldn't reconcile what I saw as the million contradictions about sixteen and a half that entire time. And that's primo when your hormones are just surging. I jerked off once. I was a cat. Like I said, the nun. Sex had nothing to do with it. It had to do with maybe I'm autistic, and maybe autistic is just a slur word for people who put logic over emotions and social approval. There's no way that the Bible, as it's written, there's no way it's true. That was it. Okay. I but can't. You want to gaslight me and say what my real motivation is? I think. There's no use in arguing over that. I think, I think it is your real motivation, but no. <laughs> okay. You know. I think but that that's uh, one of those motivations and stuff that you really can't argue about. I know I can't. I can't go any farther than that, other than right, right. proposing it. Uh, but I will also I will say that lust darkens the mind. I think that's true. I think that you're a victim of the what I described in uh, libido dominandi, the sexual social engineering of the entire Catholic Church in America. Uh, you're part of that collateral damage that took place because when you it was two parts, you know, breaking up the Catholic neighborhoods disrupted the transmission of the faith, and then the double whammy is the sexual revolution, which basically got people so self-involved uh, that they couldn't see uh, straight anymore, uh, and uh, they ended up being completely well, deracinated, cut yeah. off. Wow. Dr. 
Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. You know, Gemma, I didn't charge him a nickel for that. I should have charged him $100 an hour for psychoanalysis, but I didn't charge him a nickel. $100 a second. I mean, that, <laughs> that clip should be shown to every single white boy. <laughs> Uh, like, where can we start with it? I just felt like well, the guy, I don't know who he is, but he's such an idiot. But his greatest loser line in all of that was boasting about the fact that I think he was implying he had slept with 80 women. Is that yeah. is that actually what he implied there? Yeah, I think he said that. Actually, Gemma, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little disappointed that he had only slept with 80 women. I expected him to be up there with Don <coughs> Don Juan, who slept with a hundred and one thousand and three women in Spain alone. En España, mille et So I'm a little disappointed, Jim. But anyway, whatever it is, whether it's eighty or ninety, uh, you don't understand what happened to you. You're you're the classic example of uh, what I've been talking about all along here, where I say that the, I used to say that. The white boy is a Protestant who doesn't go to church anymore. Well, in this case, it's a Catholic who doesn't go to church anymore. And so that he can justify his sleeping around. What, what's, the, what's the male version of a slut, uh, you know, someone who throws it around like he does? Like, what's the male version of that? What would you call him? What, know, he, did they say, was, was the word Lothario? Do you know the word Lothario? They used to say that. not on the same level as slut. You see, because women actually get all of the blame for this promiscuity. There's lots of words for slut, female words for slut. But there's very few for ma- men. And in fact, it is men who should be taking responsibility for the pandemic, the, the virus of promiscuity and and sluttish behavior in many ways, you know, because they are supposed to be at the top of the hierarchy. But he's proud of this, these women that he has chewed up and spat out as cheap lays. And, you know, this is something that he's proud of. And this is so indicative of so many of these white boys. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're onto something, too, about the vocabulary here. Uh, It it seems to me there, there is more more words for promiscuous women than there are for promiscuous men. And I think there's a double standard here. I think there's a, to be honest with you, I think there's a double standard in nature. And the example I would give would be Ulysses in the Odyssey. Now, Ulysses has slept with a number of women, but the whole plot revolves around Penelope. And the fact that she didn't sleep with anyone. There were suitors coming to Penelope, and they all wanted to marry her at least. Uh, and uh, she fended them all off. And she had to remain faithful the whole time that uh, Ulysses was away. And I think there's basically a double standard in nature where women are held to a higher standard. <clears throat> and when they fall, they're treated worse than men are. And I think that Christianity changed this. But, uh, you know, grace perfects nature. It doesn't destroy it. And I think that there, the nature is still there. And I think that it's also in the uh, the Bacchae, a, a Greek tragedy I talked about uh, that came hundreds of years after that. But basically, uh, Pentheus, who's king of Thebes, realizes that the social order has fallen apart when the women leave their looms. It doesn't say anything about men. It's when women leave their looms. In other words, well, the loom is where you weave the cloth, and that's in the home. And if the women leave the home, it's disaster for the city. The city is going to fall. And he, uh, at that point, decides that he has to do something, and that's when he captures Dionysus, who's the god that these women are all worshipping. And uh, he says, uh, would you like to see the women naked? On the mountainside. And Spentheus says, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I would. So he immediately succumbs to his concupiscence, to his carnal pleasure, and goes up there. Anyway, he gets destroyed because the women have left their looms. It's the women who are the cause, who are the, the, the final bulwark against social dissolution. And so when you, when you understand that, you can understand how, what a devastating effect feminism had 
on the West? Well, it, it turns women in, into whores and baby killers. Right. Because they suddenly decide that their careers and money is more important. And if a baby comes along, well, that's an inconvenience. So they can kill their own flesh and blood. It turns them into psychos, turns them into murderers. That's what feminism does. No, I know. I know. I mean, on a, on a lesser scale, there was a lady who's a feminist. She's now in charge of the food, <laughs> so the food something or other in London. And uh, she said, wrote an article, said basically, I'm responsible for obesity in London. Oh. And she said that because when I was in, in the 1970s, I persuaded all of these women that they didn't have to cook, that they, 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 they could be liberated from food. Well, they did it, and the result was all their children became obese because they all ran off to some fast food joint. Now, that's a minor level, but it's very similar. Instead of leaving the loom, these women left the stove. And when they left the stove, the society fell apart. That's a, so it shows you that the importance of women in maintaining the social order. Well, exactly, because the fact that they're not in the home means that it, it has a direct link to um, death rates, soaring death rates, soaring obesity. Obesity is one of the biggest killers. And we see these tubby children walking around being fed on McDonald's, being fed on um, ready meals and home cooking. What's that? Because mom is in the door at the same time as dad, six in the evening. Everyone's exhausted, bickering at each other. And the children are you know, becoming morbidly obese, thinking about cutting off their reproductive organs in the hope of getting some sort of a reaction from their parents who don't even communicate with them anymore. And um, and they're allowing all of this indoctrination to go on in school. They're, the parents are terrified of the schools. They will not go into the schools and say, stop it right here. What you're teaching my children is completely grotesque. And it's got to stop. They won't. They won't do it. So, no. but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it goes back to this conversation, though, doesn't it? Really, like, you know, because we discuss this a lot, Mike, you know, that the, the, use, the use of the term white, it is a cop out, you know. Oh, this, this is a classic example. I hope everyone in Ireland is watching here. <laughs> I hope you're all watching and you will understand why you're not white. Because white means something very specific here. Nature abhors a vacuum. And when this man abandoned his Catholic faith, he had to fill it with something, and he filled it with the idea of white boyness and all of that ridiculous uh, IQ, DNA, evolutionary rubbish that's all uh, basically uh, to disguise himself from the fact that he has no identity anymore. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, why did he bring up homosexual? I don't... Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's the classic Freudian slip, well, I suppose. I, maybe that's a Freudian slip. Maybe maybe the guilty flea where none pursueth here. I didn't mention homosexual at all, and suddenly he brought it up. So I don't know what that means. You'll but, have to get... Gemma, you'll have to get Jim Goad on your show. And then you'll have to pursue that line of questioning. I have never heard of the guy. I don't know who he is. But to me, he's the opposite of him. Of, and I hope he's, he, he probably will see this. But he should be absolutely ashamed of himself for, um, you know, basically telling the world that he is a male slut, the opposite of slut, male version right. of it. Right. There's well, nothing... Yeah, they, that he should be proud of the fact that he's had 80 women. I mean, what? how did he leave these 80 women? Did he leave them with broken hearts? Did he leave them with children? Did he leave them with abortions? How did he, did he just abandon them with broken hearts? Has he left this big string of women behind him and he doesn't give a shit? He's as long as he calls himself white. Sorry. Well, there's no, there's, no, there's no morality associated with being white. That's There's nothing. So that's that's a, uh, an attraction, I think, for someone who has this burden of guilt. He's the first one that said guilt, by the way, in that conversation. He's the first yeah. one who brought it up, and he said somehow that it has something to do with Catholicism. 
Well, Catholicism relieves your guilt because you can go to sacramental confession. And that is a privilege that uh, we Catholics took for granted, I think. Uh, our, our, he's, he's about 20 years younger than me. But we both went to Temple University. Uh, and he came along. In, in Philadelphia. In yeah, both of us were in Philadelphia. The, I first met him when I did a show with uh, Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer is the man who organized the white boy protest in Charlottesville. Uh, which turned out to be an absolute debacle. Uh, I, I, I said this before. I said, I've said many times that Richard Spencer handed out spears and he told, told the white boys to charge the machine gun. Uh, and they, they all got mowed down, you know. And I, 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 it was irresponsible of him to do that. I don't know his culpability, but the fact is that uh, it, it, the only reason they got mowed down was because they were white. They thought they had constitutional protection. In other words, the freedom of speech and the right to assemble, uh, which is in the Constitution. What they didn't realize is as soon as you're white, you have no rights anymore because you're a bad person, because every white person is a racist. That goes with the narrative. You're the opposite of black. Black is good. That means white is bad. It used to be white is good and black is bad, but that's it's the same paradigm going back and forth so you have no rights as a white boy are the irish listening here the same thing applies to you you will have no rights as soon as you identify as white you play right into veradikar's hands and he can do whatever he wants to you now the opposite happened in america when uh, that fbi report came out about catholics now, at this point, uh, Josh Hawley hauled Merrick Garland, who's the attorney general, into the Senate, and he waved this paper at him that says, the FBI is now going after conservative Catholics. And Merrick Garland immediately says, no, no, that's wrong. I said, well, he's got the, we got the paper right here. He had to back down immediately. Now, I guarantee you, if Josh Hawley had said to Merrick Garland, I hear you're going after white people, he would say, yes, of course. You, this, this is the difference. Yep. And so he finally beat uh, Garland down to the point where his back is to the wall, and he has to say the final thing that every Jew says when his pants are down or his hands is in the till. He had to say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. <laughs> that was his final escape card. But shows you how desperate he was. And I'm saying that is what happens in America is the same thing. It also applies to Ireland. If you identify as white, you are playing into the hands of your enemies and they will destroy you. Yeah, and it means, you know, the end of nations, which is exactly what the UN want, what the New World Order want, they, what the Jews want. They don't want nations. So no. once you stop saying, I'm Irish... And calling yourself white, well, then that's the end of your borders. So, oh, I mean, I know I am not popular because I call these people out. Um, you know, the white boys that have attacked you, that the far right in Ireland, they're all puppets. I mean, one of them who's very high profile, he was drunk over Christmas and he gave his Christmas message, you know, drunk because we're Irish. So what else? You know, have a bit of crack, have a bit of that means fun in Irish and in, in Ireland. But, you know, I said to my audience, well, there I'm vindicated again, because oh, these these white boys are completely immoral. They're appalling role models for your sons because they're no better than the degenerate left. They go around you know, getting drunk out of their minds. Do we need Irish men to be sober at this existential crisis, in this existential crisis, this moment that we're in, where our country is collapsing all around us and these idiots, these white boys are out getting drunk? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, Thank not you. A, it's not a good sign. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. No.
one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com where you can meet all of your Southern needs. Support those that support the network. Support Dixie Republic at DixieRepublic.com. Email ProudSouthern123 at gmail.com and let them know that RBN sent you. Destiny Cross, and I guess uh, Sam will go ahead and start in on um, Jason Whitlock's interview. It was the first one he'd done with uh, E Mike, apparently. And about ten minutes in, uh, we'll take a pause, and it might even be time for the bottom of the hour break by then. So then we'll have some more for the other side. All right. So without further ado, uh, let's bring in our guest of honor, an interview I've been looking forward to. Uh, normally, I don't have to bring in reinforcements, but I'm so glad Anthony's here because uh, I need some reinforcements because this is as bright and as provocative and as interesting and as biblically based a guest I think that uh, we could have on this show, that combination, E. Michael Jones uh, welcome to Fearless. I'm so glad you made the time. You're someone I have, I have to hear from. People in our audience have been saying, hey, man, you got to interview E. Michael Jones. Jason, all the stuff you're talking about last week, Mr. Jones, I, I, I or last week or the week before, I talked about how uh, our heterosexual lust is actually the slippery slope that has created all of this sexual chaos uh, that has overtaken America. And people's like, man, you got to talk to E. Michael Jones. He wrote this great book. So anyway, uh, Mr. Jones, if you could first, for just for my benefit, I think a lot of people in the audience are, are well aware of, of you and your background. You're new to me. I've, I've watched some interviews, and I've tried to get myself up to date. But could you introduce yourself to me and the audience and give us a little bit of your background? Yes, yes. First of all, thank you for those kind words. Um, I was uh, grew up in Philadelphia. I was educated at uh, Catholic College here, St. Joseph's College, then Temple University. Then I taught in Germany for a couple of years, came back and got my Ph.D. in American literature and got a job at St. Mary's College and across the street from Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. And one year after I got there, what was supposed to be a tenure-track position, I got fired uh, for being against abortion at a Catholic college. And I thought, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. I kept, I go back to Temple and I say, I got fired. Oh, why? Because of my position on abortion. Oh, no, I'm against it. I'm against it. Well, you can't get, well, anyway, I was. 
and it gave me an indication that there was something wrong here. And I think what I discovered. What year was, was that? What that year was is that? Uh, I arrived there in 79. I got fired in 1980. So one year later, one year after I got there. Uh, and uh, what I what I got during that period of time was there was something wrong with that place. And what happened was the sexual subversion of Notre Dame University and St. Mary's College. St. Mary's College at that point had been taken over by feminists. Uh, I feminists believe in abortion, uh, so they didn't want me around. And so I decided to start a magazine, which I was called Fidelity. It's now called Culture Wars because I. I, I thought I, I have to figure out what happened here. Is, is this a, am I a victim of mistaken identity? Uh, and it turns out that I wasn't. Something big had happened there. And we're talking about the sexual subversion of the Catholic Church in the United States and of America, uh, specifically at Notre Dame. So what was a big issue before I got there in the 1960s was contraception. That was a big issue. That was a big issue before uh, abortion. And what I discovered over a period of years doing research, going to the Rockefeller archives, was basically that the Rockefeller Foundation was interested in changing the church's teaching on contraception. And they paid Notre Dame to have a series of secret conferences there that uh, were culminated in a statement by all of these theologians that they, they no longer found the church's teaching uh, persuasive. No one knew that the Rockefellers had paid for it. No one knew who was behind it. It looked as if just, well, they all just got down and decided on their own. Now, it was a concerted effort to change the Catholic teaching uh, because there were two two groups that did not fall in line here. One was the Catholics, the other was the Blacks. And the blacks have been uh, singled out and uh, by Planned Parenthood in the late 40s with the Negro Project, created by Margaret Sanger to make sure that uh, blacks stop having children. That was the way they dealt with that. It took about 20 years later before they decided to deal with the Catholic Church, and that's what they did at Notre Dame. So that's how I came to be where I am today. I wrote a book. Uh, based on those experiences, about 20 years later, it was called Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. And what I realized was that this, what looked like liberation was really control. You know, and the, the paradigm I used uh, was, happened 2004. It happened one year after my book came out, as if to prove me right. But anyway, 2000, my book came out in 2003. 2004, the Israelis arrive in Gaza. It's one of their perennial incursions. Hold for one second. Hold for one second. Hold for one second. I, I want to get there, but I want to get there in proper order. Because when you drop that, it's going to make me go deep off into that conversation. So okay. let me just hit pause right now. Because you, you Libido Dominande is the book that a friend of the show, uh, Kevin, sent me and sent me interviews you've done on it. And it's like, because he's like, Jason, you're scratching the surface. Uh, but this guy, E. Michael Jones, he's gone all the way there and explaining that. But before I get there, because what you're about to unpack about Israel and Palestine is very fascinating. But why do progressives, why are you so under attack by progressives and the Anti-Defamation League? Y you've been... You were canceled, it seems, before canceling became a thing. Why is that? Well, you know, you only get flack when you're over the target. So I was over the target. I exposed one of the fundamental control mechanisms of the American empire. It's that simple. Uh, we can go back. The man who understood this was Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley wrote a book called Brave New World, 1933. Very prophetic book. He was connected with British intelligence. Uh, he came over here and was very influential in promoting drug use uh, in this country. Uh, but he said in that book, he, 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 after his book came out, another book came out called 1984. And 25 years after his book came out, he said, look, 1984 is about the 
concentration camp. It's about the gulag. It's about using brutal force to get people under control. There's a better way to get people under control, and it's called pleasure. Pleasure is much more effective than force. And that was the key to sexual liberation as a form of political control. So basically what you do is over this period of like 200 years, that book covers 200 years, it begins with the French Revolution. What you had was more and more sophisticated ways of controlling people through pleasure. And one of the main pleasures in life is sexual activity. So how do you, how do you mobilize sexual activity to get people under control? Well, the man who figured it out first was uh, the Marquis de Sade, who wrote a book, the, the French Revolution is Threatened, and he says, he was also the first uh, major pornographer in Europe. And so he understood the power that pornography had as to uh, uh, enslave people's minds. So he said, basically, we, we got this revolution, we want to keep the revolution going, the Catholics are coming from the West, it's called the Vendée, they want to stop the revolution. We need to spread passion we need to spread sexual liberation because that will attach people to the revolution and it will lead this forward motion to keep the revolution going against reaction. Now, there was a technological problem at that point because Desaad said, put naked women in the theater and that will arouse the passions and passion will be the engine that drives the revolution. Well, the problem is if you have a big theater, it's hard to see the women. Okay, you got a lot of men, but you can't see the women. If you have a small theater, you can see the women, but you can't see the men. Uh, but there are not a lot of people there. This was solved by technology. And it, basically the technology was, first of all, the camera, and then the motion picture, cam picture camera, and then the use of film in the 20th century uh, uh, as a way of indoctrinating people and then Going beyond that, we now have the Internet, and now we have these cell phones where you can – every kid gets a cell phone and media starts looking at pornography. And that's the way this government keeps these people under control. Now, I, to, I gave, when, I, when this book came out, everybody thought I was crazy. What are you talking about? This is the opposite. This is freedom. Nine, 2019, you had a generation of young people who were raised on cell phones – who were addicted to pornography, and I'd have to explain to them that they were slaves of their own passions. They knew that. And as a result, they started acting on it, and that's when uh, uh, the NoFap November came, 2019, and then Rolling Stone denounced them all as anti-Semites because they weren't watching pornography. Uh, and they said that because pornography has always been controlled by Jews, Okay. To this day, the owner, uh, you probably know this, but the owner of Pornhub is a rabbi. Now, why is a rabbi... Call his name. Call his name so we can fact check that. Solomon, I'm, I'm, Solomon, I believe you, but call... Solomon, just type Pornhub, Solomon, uh, rabbi. Gotcha. Uh, what's his last name? It'll come up. Solomon Friedman. We'll be back in a few. tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Are 
Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plants. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. Subscribe to the Freedom Times monthly newspaper, published since 1985. That's right, 1985. The Freedom Times pulls no punches and observes no sacred cows or taboos. The perilous times we live in are too critical for anything but honest discussion of America's plight. The Freedom Times is the antidote to the lies and distortions of the fake news media. There's no better way to inform and enlighten Americans than by reading The Freedom Times each month. New subscribers may sign up at the special rate of just $29 for one year or $55 for two years. Subscribe online by going to AmericanFreedomNews.us or mail your subscription to The Freedom Times, P.O. Box 218, Wildwood, Pennsylvania, 15091. That's the Freedom Times, P.O. Box 218, Wildwood, Pennsylvania, 15091. Support America's best patriotic newspaper and one of the very few left by becoming a subscriber to the Freedom Times today. Hi, Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ4 Carcass Drop and Lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation. But today I want to spotlight four of our new products. First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. All righty, we're back. Yeah, I'm going to kind of push it, I guess, <clears throat> see if I can get all these in here. <laughs> Maybe not. <clears throat> but um, there were two links with that part is why I wanted to pause there. Anyway, uh, the Rolling Stone article that E. Mike mentioned and uh, then the uh, one about the Pornhub owner. He's an attorney and a rabbi named Solomon Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. And apparently Pornhub was um, free to post... Um, <clears throat> adults raping 14-year-old girls. And uh, anyway, so enough about that. But the uh, the interesting article there at Rolling Stone, uh, the, the um, No Nut um, November of 2019, uh, and I think he might figured in on some of that, but it was kind of a collaborative thing with, with uh, you know, it, it strengthens people to abstain. You know, to have control over yourself and uh, get it through Jesus Christ, too. So, uh, but I noticed that there was this Daniel Lay, L-E-Y, calling himself a doctor, I think, in this article and at Rolling Stone. And um, he, being Jewish, I guess, but there was this AMA, and I'm forgetting what the name of it was, but they had just started up and we're going to make money on selling people the idea of having these guys watch them have sex live and uh, call the shots, basically. <laughs> you know, like a sports game, I guess. 
giving them tips, these psychologists were. So they were mad because they were missing out on this money and this invasion that would weaken people even further. And then there was a Coomer meme, which they took the um, the drawing down, but they said it, he looked up uh, vaguely Semitic features. And so that was part of the reason. But uh, and he had like a large, muscly right arm. And um, so anyway, uh, Sam, if you want to go ahead and start at that 1833 uh, part, well, continue on. Now, I want you to go through that bit of history from 2003, 2004. A con- and I went and looked. I saw this interview, and I was like, oh, my God. I went and looked it up. I saw it written about in the Washington Post. Mainstream people or, or media outlets confirm what you're about to say. It's not just E. Michael Jones. But anyway, tell the story about what happened uh, in Palestine on Gaza Strip uh, that you were about to go into earlier. No, it, no, it was it was yeah, it was Ramallah. Okay, Ramallah, yeah. Ramallah. So uh, the IDF once again the IDF invades uh, uh, Ramallah invades uh, uh, Gaza, uh, and this time they do something unusual. They take over the TV stations and they start broadcasting pornography over the TV stations. Now, the question is, why would they do that? Now, if, if you're an American, you go to movies like uh, The People versus Larry Flint, Hollywood movie made in the early 90s, or Boogie Nights, and the premise of both of those movies is that pornography is freedom. Okay? That's what Larry Flint says in that movie. You know, nobody can be free unless I can publish pornographic magazines like Hustler. So we have to conclude then that what the Israelis were doing was bringing freedom to the Palestinians. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So we have to revise this and we have to understand that pornography is according to what they did. Now, the Jews have always controlled pornography. okay? and what they did was an act of cultural warfare. And it proves that pornography is a weapon. It's a weapon that's calculated to destroy people. Now, how does it destroy you? It deranges you. Now, I gave this speech. I gave it in Europe. I gave it in Iran. I gave it in Washington, D.C. And each time I gave it, someone came forward and said, I was there. I was there when it happened. And it's worse than you said because there were snipers on top of the hospital. And if you came out of your house and tried to talk to somebody about what was really going on, you got shot. So the only source of information you had was television, and the only thing on the television was pornography. Now, this proves that pornography is a form of warfare. It's warfare against the people, whatever people you want to conquer. When, the, when Iraq was conquered, after the America, after they got rid of Saddam Hussein, the country was flooded with pornography. 1974, when Portugal, Salazar dies in Portugal... And uh, uh, the CIA floods Portugal with pornography. That was even written up in Time magazine. This proves my point. Pornography is not freedom. It's a form of control. And so I I know you've already referenced it, but I, I just want you to unpack it a little bit more about how how pleasure and man's desire to pleasure himself actually enslaves him. I've been talking about it on this show. I've been talking about it about myself. All these issues you're talking about directly relate to me in in terms of, you know, I I talk on this show all the time and my audience gets tired of hearing, but I just want you to know who you're talking to, Mr. Jones, is, you know, I used to love strip clubs. I used to love strippers. I used to... My whole life was built around pleasuring myself. And it took a lot of things to happen for me to go, oh, my God. I didn't use the word that you're using, but I came to that realization like I've been trapped by my sin. And and my sin is controlling me and stopping me from living a more productive, honorable, biblically sound life. And I'm paying penalties in terms of. You know, I've tried to explain to people on this show all the time, like God uh, sent marvelous women who were who I who were worthy of marriage, 
me having kids with and the whole thing. And I was so lost in lust and sin that I blew the gifts God sent to me. Right. And, and right. as a 56 year old man, I really regret it now. But yeah. anyway, there's other way, but pleasure and how it's used against us to convince because right. it, it, everybody's compromised now through their sexual sin and they can't stand on truth. This is why we can't put a stop to anything because everybody's easily blackmailed through their sexual sin. But go, go right. I, I want you right. to. Aquinas said lust darkens the mind. This is the, the biblical reference here is Samson. Samson was the man who could, he could defeat anybody. But he had a weakness. All men have this weakness. It's called concupiscence. It's called lust. And he succumbed to uh, Delilah's wiles. And what symbolized his bondage? They cut out, they took out his eyes. He couldn't see. He was blind. Milton said, where is your leader now? He's eyeless in Gaza, grinding at the mill with slaves. That's what happens to you when you, when you succumb to lust. You become blind. You didn't see the reality of those women. You, you mention it now, you know, I could have had a happy life with one of these women, you know, if I weren't blinded by my lust. Uh, and that's too bad. I mean, you can't go back and undo the past, but you can't learn from your lesson, uh, from a lesson from the past. And Augustine said, a man has as many masters as he has vices. Now, this is a vice that St. Paul says, all the other sins are outside of the body. This one's inside of your body. That's what St. Paul says. And what he means by that is all pleasure is potentially addictive, whether it's drink, whatever it is, chocolate, you name it. If it's pleasurable, it's potentially addictive. But this pleasure, this desire comes from inside of you. This sin is inside of you. And so when you you think it's me, like I want that and that's me that wants that when it's really your desires that are controlling you and you can't see it because lust makes you blind. And that's why it's such an effective form of control, because it comes from inside. Chocolate's outside of you. Drink is outside of you. Drugs are outside of you. But lust is inside of you. And you identify with your lust. You say, that's me. Look at, look at the homosexuals. That's their identity. Their identity is their vice. It's like me walking down the street and saying, yeah, I'm a drug addict. And I'm proud. I'm a proud drug addict. I'm a proud drunk. I throw up on my shoes every other night, and I'm proud of it. Well, that's exactly what the homosexuals are. They've identified with their vices, and they are being mobilized now as the shock troops to get everyone else under control. That's what's going on. The government, this is the most sophisticated and insidious form of tyranny in human history. Dr. Jones, this is uh, Anthony Walker. I'm a minister here in uh, Tennessee. I, I hear what you're saying about uh, Samson and how this uh, sin, this lust of his caused him to go blind. Uh, I look at that in contrast. Jesus tells us one of the ways to deal with that. You know, he said, if your sin causes you, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. How do you um, how do you help men or, or what is your advice to men who have struggled in this area, who have been compromised in this area, how do they get out of this uh, loop that they're in? First of all, what, simply saying that it's a form of control got people to stop watching pornography. They've told me that. Simply by saying that. Now, they're, they're, the, they're the lucky ones. Uh, but it's possible. The, the, the good news of Jesus Christ is that it is possible to break the bonds of sin. It is possible to do that. Amen. To do it, you have to start at the beginning and you have to avoid the near occasions of sin like pornography. So stop watching pornography. And that will uh, help with this bad habit of masturbation that a lot of young people have. That's a start in the direction. Now, Jesus Christ knows that we're weak. And so we need his help. And I'm saying grace is divine help in, in this regard. That we're not just left here alone. He didn't leave us orphans. We are here to get help from Jesus Christ. And we can lead successful lives 
no matter what type of life you led in the past. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy. Okay, we just I just went through the story with this guy, Michael Voris, who was the big Catholic sensation. And it turns out he he was a homosexual. Okay, so I was working with this guy. I wrote a book about him. And as soon as I write this book, the Catholics jump on me and say, well, don't you believe in forgiveness? Well, sure, I believe in forgiveness. But that's not the end of the story. St. John Chrysostom said, sin is the arrow. If you remove the arrow, you still have a wound. And you're going to have to work to heal that wound. And that's going to take time, and that's precisely what this guy didn't do. He went from gay cruises to Mr. Catholic spokesman, uh, like, overnight, and his past caught up with him, and he fell. And okay, nobody listened to me the first there, time Sam. around, and he fell the second time I around. think uh, that was actually a stopping point, but actually this is pretty good to play. All of it's good. That's why I uh, um, posted them in the chat room so people can see the whole thing and see the expressions on their faces like... Uh, Mike said, and uh, uh, let me see. I think we might have enough time. <laughs> We're about out of time. Uh, let's just go for the last, the last one there. It's uh, about three minutes. That's number three. EMJ Live. Can we do that, Sam? We'll just thank you. We'll just skip to the the last one. Three, but I'm just. Aren't you letting Joe Biden and a lot of other politicians, left and right, off the hook? Because they know what you know as well. I mean, anybody with common sense can see the moral decay overtaking America and everybody just keep, let's keep going. Let's go further and further, drag queens in schools and bring your kids to watch a drag queen gyrate in front of them. First of all, Joe Biden is not in charge of the government. It's called Biden's menu. You can look this up, too. There are 457 Jews who are running the Biden administration. They're the people who are in charge. Okay? Hey, so Sam, there's no point in talking about Joe Biden. Do we have Biden. time to get the number we three, to, the, um, not the clip, but the the last video? Uh, that's about three minutes. I don't know if it'll still fit, but if you can like. Yeah. Yeah, my number threes and clip threes, I got it all confusing. Sorry. <laughs> no, we'll skip that and just go to that part two, PT2. Yep. Yes, please. All right. See if we can squeeze this one in. Take a doll and you stick pins in it. So, oh, I got this pain here. That's not the way it, that's not the way it works. Uh, the Jewish people are punishing themselves because of their rejection of Christ. And that rejection is the source of their problems. Uh, uh, it's not a curse. They brought it on themselves. Okay, They're doing it to themselves to this day. And I'm referring to people like uh, Sarah Silverman who says, yeah, we killed Christ and I'd do it again. Uh, it's hard to find that anymore, and there are lots of explanations about how she didn't really mean what she said, but that's what I'm talking about. That's not a curse. That's a, that's a, a, a perverse hatred of Logos that is the norm, uh, the operating system of the Jewish mind. It can stop overnight. Okay, all the, the, I, I know. I know Jews who have uh, given up this and they've they've converted to Logos. I know Jews who follow Logos without converting to uh, full Logos in, in Jesus Christ, but it's all a function of their will and their desire to perdure, to preserve this Jewish privilege. And and uh, no matter what, uh, that desire to preserve Jewish privilege uh, goes to, that, that's why they killed Jesus Christ. Okay? They didn't want someone who was offering what he offered. So, no, it's not a curse. It doesn't come from the outside. And if it doesn't work for the Jews, it's not going to work for the sons of Ham, which has often been used as a uh, um, a reason to justify slavery uh, in the South. So, no, I don't believe in that. Right. Yeah, it's not one. Uh, I, would, I would just add, though, I think, I mean, it says in the Bible, Caiaphas said, let uh, our generations... Uh, onward, I'm paraphrasing here, but let the generations after us have Christ's blood on his 
right, on let, our hands. Let us, that's and, right. and I think St. John Chrysostom touched on this too. Right. The Jewish people said, let his blood be on us and our children. That means that the Jewish people did it. They, they took responsibility for killing Jesus Christ. Okay, that will never change. Okay, does that mean all Jews did it? No, there's, I keep trying to say there's a difference between all Jews and the Jews. The Jews are the Jewish people. That was a ratification of Christ's death by the Jewish people. It doesn't mean that all Jews ratified it, and it doesn't mean all Jews have to ratify it on into the future. Even if your ancestor did call for Christ's death, that doesn't mean that you have to do it. Okay, a lot to follow up. Can we touch up on this in Jewish revolutionary spirit? Because that'd be interesting to pick your brain a bit more in one of your books. Yes, it's, read the Jewish revolutionary spirit. I deal with that very at the beginning. The very beginning. Awesome, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Okay, uh, moving on here, let's go to MV. Regular here. Go ahead, MV. Hey, Dr. Jones, uh, excellent speech. I had an interesting encounter with a good friend of mine. She's a professional female in an urban area, and she grew up sort of Catholic, but I think one of her stepfathers was Lutheran or something. And her look at Christianity generally, but Catholicism lately, she says, well, I'm really not all that intrigued by the whole thing. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, E. Mike Jones, for being here. Have a good week. Have a good week. Have you been looking for a trusted long-term storable food company? We have a solution for you. Simply Clean Foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market. Our line of resealable fruits, vegetables, and meats are suitable for everyday use, and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again. Our food is completely GMO-free, and our stringent quality controls, plus testing for heavy metals, makes us unique in the storable foods market. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. When you purchase from Simply Clean Foods, not only will you be receiving high-quality food, but you will also be supporting veterans in need across the country and those who are affected by natural disasters. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on long-term food storage in the rotating sponsors' banners to support RBN. Simply Clean Foods. Do it today. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network.